0: And when you take accountability, even in situations where maybe you weren't at fault or maybe something really out of your control did happen, you have some accountability in that situation. And if you take accountability, that gives you power to turn things around. And that's the most important thing in the world. Welcome to Market Like a Rockstar with your host, RPI.
1: Bridging the gap between business, mindset, and marketing, this is your invitation to stop selling and start telling
0: dive into a world where stories and advice aren't just shared, but crafted to build brands that resonate, captivate, and earn trust.
1: Whether you're an entrepreneur, a business owner, or a marketing professional, let's hit the road to brand empowerment together. Your journey to becoming a magnetic brand starts now.
0: Market Like a Rockstar, episode seven, you are here. Thank you so much for checking out this podcast. My name is RPI. I'm going to be your host as always. First podcast of a brand new year. I hope you and your family and friends had a great holiday, whatever holiday you celebrated. And I hope your year is off to a good start as we're wrapping up the first week here. Um, I am super excited. One thing I have not talked about here is the fact that I've got my first baby coming in 2024. So the wife is six months pregnant. I'm recording this in January. She's due in March. So super excited about that. And it's really good because I actually have turned into my father and I will tell you what that means. I mean, obviously when you get older, you start seeing things that your parents did probably. Um, and I'm going to be an old dad, like the oldest dad ever. So I've already hit a lot of those landmarks where I'm like, holy shit, I've turned into my father. Right. But We were down in my, my wife's family has a place in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and we were down there between Christmas and New Year's or after Christmas up through this week. And we were both, we both were just sick this time, you know, like head cold, not like sick, sick, not really sick, but like sick enough where you're kind of sick. And my wife being pregnant was just, she was not feeling well. And she's like, Hey, you know, I think she had to go back to work on Friday of this week. And she's like, why don't we go home a day early? And I realized I'm turning to my father when I told him like, yeah, absolutely. We can like head back to Kansas City, even though it's 20 degrees in Kansas City and it's 85 degrees here. Um, But I told her that what made me realize that I am my father is at this point in my life, she could at any moment ask me, are you ready to go home? And the answer is always, always going to be yes. It doesn't matter if we're on vacation It doesn't matter if we're in paradise. It doesn't matter if we're out to dinner somewhere. It doesn't matter if we're at a get together. Any time, I told her this. I said, you don't ever have to ask me for the rest of our lives together. You don't ever have to ask me, hey, do you care if we go ahead and go home now? Because just know that the answer is yes. I'm always ready to go home. I love home. It's my happy place. I absolutely love it. And I hope that you love being home as much as I love being home. Because when you love being home, then- Everything else is just gravy, right? All right, let's get into the podcast. Today, we're gonna to talk about accountability. Um, I feel like this is one of those big ones and it's it's just a fundamental building block, whether you're talking about your business, whether you're talking about your marketing, whether you're talking about your, your own personal success. I think accountability is one of the most important things just across the board. And I know it's right for me because it, I, I know it helps me, I should say. Because any time that I have ever blamed other people for my pro- my problems, um, that doesn't help me. It never helps me. And as a matter of fact, I think it's the worst thing you can do is point the finger at somebody else because then you're taking the ability to fix the problem away from you. You know what I mean? So at the very base, at the very at the very least, at the, at the very bottom of all this if you're not willing to sit down and say, you know what? Yeah, this person was shifty or or sketchy or whatever, and they pulled some shenanigans or whatever, find your role in whatever happened and figure out what you can change. Cause that's all you can control. And if you say, well, the game is rigged. I can't win because, uh, you know what pick pick your reason right it doesn't matter what the reason is cuz i'm too old i can't win they won't hire me okay well you're then you're screwed i guess <laughs> like like i guess that's it you know oh i'm too fat i'm too skinny i'm too whatever like pick your reason if the reason that you're not succeeding or you're not somewhere in life is something that's out of your control then you have no means of fixing it however if you find your accountability in any situation. Like I said, I, I was in an awful, awful like relationship for a long time. And the one thing that I didn't do, and I was proud of myself for doing this, and I was 35 when I dipped out of that relationship, was I did not spend any time trying to figure out like like like, like the self-pity thing didn't happen. Because my whole reason was I I know that they acted In a bad manner. I know somebody acted in a bad manner, but the problem was I I allowed myself to stay in that relationship. That's what I could control. And that's what I did control for years. I allowed this behavior to be part of my life. And I allowed myself not to do anything about it. And the one thing I was happy about was I was like, I I was never focused on that person or what, you know, what, how they acted, what they did, whatever. All I could focus on was me and why I stayed there, why I allowed that stuff to happen. And when you take accountability, even in, thing, even in situations where maybe you weren't at fault, or maybe something really out of your control did happen, you have some accountability in that situation. And if you take accountability, that gives you power to turn things around. And that's the most important thing in the world is to be able to get yourself out of a shitty situation. You know what I mean? And so today I'm gonna talk a lot about sports and sports analogies, and I'm specifically gonna talk about, I'm gonna use a few references. I'm a Kansas City guy, born and raised in Kansas City. You know, did some time in Nashville, but Kansas City's always been home, and I've always been a Chiefs fan my entire life, and that was really a rough, rough spot to be in for the first, I don't know, 40 years of my life until the last eight years or whatever, the last, you know, seven, eight, six, five, however long Mahomes and Reed have been in the, You know, Andy Reed was the beginning of it. And then Mahomes came, came in and now everybody hates the Chiefs and they're like, everybody bitches about them, which I find to be absolutely fascinating because I've watched our team go from just not a joke, but it was never, they were never the team you were scared to play. And I've watched them come to where they are the team you're scared to play. And this year has been rough. As a Chiefs fan, it's been really hard to watch these guys kind of struggle through the season, you know? And right now we're getting into th- this weekend is the last, so I'm recording this the first week of January. This weekend is the last regular season game. The Chiefs have won the AFC West, so they're locked in um, for the playoffs. And they'll probably, this Sunday, they'll probably rest most of their starters, whatever. But um, but going to the playoffs, it's going to be interesting because the Chiefs have not been the Chiefs that we're used to in the Mahomes era, right? They've not been this offensive powerhouse. They've got a really strong defense, blah, blah, blah. But the reason I bring this up is because <clears throat> I feel like sports in today's day and age is one of the few places where meritocracy still means everything, especially in the NFL, you know, and there are people that were, you'll hear people talk about, oh, you know, such and such didn't get a job because uh, because of racism or whatever. And in my mind, I, it's it's not that I don't think racism exists. Of course it exists, right? But I also know that every single owner and every single organization, especially in the NFL, we'll just use that as what we're talking about. All they care about is winning. That's all they care about. I mean, even, even to the point that you've got guys that are, breaking the law, you know, and they're bringing them on. Like they don't care. Like you did, you did something terrible to your spouse. That's okay. You keep playing, right? Like it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, look at Deshaun Watson for Christ's sakes. Like this guy, like just a a laundry list of allegations, like so many allegations that it's like, and, and allegations are only allegations, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, when you've got this many and you've got receipts and blah, blah, whatever right so my point is the nfl is a meritocracy for the very for the most part and the best players in the nfl and the best players in life the best people you work with the best people in your family the best people you know are the people that take accountability for their actions and a lot of times these are people that even when you take when you take accountability for your, for your actions you also you also understand that you are, even when you win, like you're not the best ever. Like you're always, like you always have to have that, that, that humility. Like there's the, what's the saying? It goes something like, um, you're never as bad as people say you are. They're never as good as people say you are. You're never as like, like it's, it's the idea that, that you're not as bad as what your worst critic says. And you're not as, good as what your number one fan says, right? Like, and you have to realize that you have to understand that and finding that middle ground is tricky. And remembering to give yourself grace is tricky. Like that's the, that's the tightrope because you want to be accountable. You want to sit there and say, well, I dropped the ball here in life, you know, on this project with my team or whatever, I, I dropped the ball and I picked it up. And then when you're, when you win, the best thing you can do is say, yeah, I, I won, but I couldn't have won without my team. Right. And so accountability is so important and it's going to make your life better if you learn how to take it, right? And I'm gonna focus on, I've got two videos here that I'm gonna play back to back and we're gonna look at the difference in accountability, okay? So right now, like I said, people love to bash the chiefs. They love to bash Mahomes. They love to watch him fail now because they love to watch him succeed. That's just the way the world works, right? You build him up and then people break him down or whatever, but the one thing that I was super excited about when the chief signed Mahomes was the fact that he seemed like a pretty decent human being beside take all the the athletic gifts and all the talent and all the stuff away from it he seemed like somebody that was not going to be a problem if and when which he did get the limelight when the limelight was put on him you know because whenever you get, massive fame like that, all it is, all fame and money really is, in my opinion, is a magnifying glass. So it just takes whoever you are and it just amplifies it, right? So if you are a shit human being and you become famous, eventually the shit's going (laughs) to hit the fan and everybody's going to know. And if you're a super solid person and you become famous, let's just look at Dolly Parton. The whole world knows. Everybody loves Dolly. Country's never been more divided. There's not a person in this country that can say anything bad about Dolly Parton, right? So when you look at, like, I I look at fame and money as just a magnifying glass. It just highlights who you are. And when when I saw Mahomes and he came to the Chiefs, whenever that was, six years ago, five years ago, whatever, he just seemed like a good human being. He'd been around fame. He'd been around, like, high-quality athletes, and I mean, high-quality, I don't even know if that's the right word, but he has been around the best of the best because his dad was a major league baseball player, so he was familiar with those. He wasn't swimming in new waters there, but the best thing about Patrick Mahomes, even more than his athletic ability, which is incredible, is his the way he takes accountability for his actions and the way he gives accountability when he wins. I've got a video here. This is back from uh, a couple weeks ago. Chiefs lost to the Raiders. If you're not a sports fan, all you need to know is the Raiders aren't good this year. The Chiefs are struggling this year, but they should have beaten the Raiders pretty easily. They didn't. They lost. And I am going to do, uh, let me pull this up really quick. I'm going to do this right here. I'm going to do this right here. Okay. I'm going to play this video from Patrick Mahomes. And this is him handling the press conference after the Chiefs lost to the Raiders. And Mahomes had a couple errors big errors that actually contributed to that loss.
2: Yeah, I think just the mistakes offensively. Uh, I thought defense played a good game. Uh, just two mistakes that uh, gave them two touchdowns there down the when you're backed up um, in their red zone. So um, you just can't do that, especially when defense is playing like they're playing. So I just got to be better in that sense and not making those mistakes and uh, try to find a way to play the game um, in the best way to win it. Patrick,
0: is it hard to find a line in that kind of situation to not press too much? You know, when a mistake happens or back-to-back mistakes happens? Um, make up for
2: it, I guess. yeah, I mean, I think as competitors, you want to make a play happen. Um, but at the same time, you got to know the flow of the game. It's something that I've tried to learn over my career. Um, those two, but those two mistakes at that moment kind of put us in a hole and we weren't able to climb out of it. And so I'm um, just trying to find a way to eliminate those. Um, but, uh, obviously, uh, it got us today. The interception
3: is yeah, just he made a
2: good play, man. Um, he was off coverage, read it um, by the probably by the alignment or something like that, and just made a good play. I uh, just can't make that throw. Um, I try to be on time with it, but uh, he obviously made a great play on there and got it. Got, and got the pick six. Patrick, what about the thump?
0: Okay, so what you heard there was a lot of I can't make those mistakes. You know, the defense played great. Patrick's an offensive player, in case you don't know. Um, the defense did play great in that game for the Chiefs. But what you hear there is a—it's just an amazing example of somebody taking ownership for the mistakes they made, and I—I I cannot tell you how important that is to have somebody. And again, this doesn't matter if you're talking about an actual a football team, it, a baseball. It, it doesn't have to be a sports reference. If you've got people that you work with on a daily basis, and they're willing to take accountability when things go wrong, when they screw up. Now, I know there are people that are like football fans, but like he was just crying about the refs three games ago. True, he had reason to cry about the refs. I understand, I don't want to get into to, to the middle of that. Mahomes has not made a, he has not made a career of passing the blame onto other people, okay? 99 times out of 100, the only time in his career that he's ever mentioned the refs was two or three weeks ago. So I'm bringing this up because, If the Chiefs lose a game, and what's crazy is the clip I just played you was a clip where Mahomes really, his errors cost them the game against the Raiders. So he did take the blame for that. What you're not seeing and what I don't have clips of are the times when people on his team let everybody down and he still took the blame for it. So even when like, and again, it's not that it's easier for him to take accountability for, he fumbled a ball that was on the five yard line. He threw an interception that was a pick six. So it's not that it's easy, but those are, those were his mistakes, right? He's a professional. He knows it. He's not, he's not living in la la land or whatever. He's aware of the fact that those are his mistakes and he owned them. But even when people on his team make huge mistakes he never blames them. He never says, ah, oh, my my linemen weren't blocking very well that I was running the whole game. He never comes out with those excuses, ever. And I believe just by watching him succeed and watching the way people, the people around him act, I believe that's genuinely how he carries himself. And those are the people, and it didn't matter if I was, I mean, this goes all the way back to when I was in college and I was cutting grass at a golf course right? I, was, I worked on a maintenance crew at a golf course. It doesn't matter what profession you're in. It doesn't matter if you're making $10 an hour or $15 an hour, or if you're making $500,000 a year. These, these attributes, they transcend everything else. So whatever field you're in, those are the people you want on your team and those are the people that you want to be. You want to be that person because whether people know it or not, they might not even they might not even think about it. It might be subconscious. But if you're willing to take accountability for your actions and say, "Hey, you know what? I can do better here," even if if the error wasn't your fault, if if the loss wasn't because of something you did, you find a way to take accountability and say, okay, I can do better next time. I'm going to do better next time. Those are the people you want on your team 100% of the time. I'm going to use another Chiefs reference. And this is like, I just started, like I said, I this podcast, I launched, this is the seventh episode. I launched it in like October, November of last year. So I'm just getting started with this thing. I'm just getting back into doing my own content because I've been doing content for my clients for six years, starting to make my own stuff. And I just fired up my old Twitter account. I switched my handle to RPI. Uh, what is it, RPI underscore creative from, it was my old RPI music account. So I'm sure that people aren't seeing my stuff because I didn't tweet for a long time. But if you follow my Twitter, you'll see, especially after the last game, that I am such, I don't know what the opposite of fan is. Critic, I guess. I am such a critic of one of the Chiefs receivers, MVS, okay? And it's not because this guy has dropped more balls. I think he's dropped more footballs this season. I think he's set a record. I know the Chiefs have set a record, so I don't know if it's a Chiefs or if it's MVS. But it's not necessarily the fact that he's cost the Chiefs multiple games this year because he didn't catch the football. And I understand that catching a football in an NFL game in prime time when the game's on the line and the whole world is watching, I understand that's a high-stress situation. That's also why you get paid millions of dollars. This is not some high school kid that we just plucked out of Lake of the Ozarks and dropped into this situation. This is a professional individual, okay? This is what he's been doing his whole life. He was good enough to get here. And it's not the fact that he's been dropping balls like it's his job to drop balls. That's not the real problem. The real problem, in my opinion, is the way he handles this situation. Okay, so I've got a clip, and this is from early December, December eighth is what this clip is from. And I think it's it's from uh PJ Green TV on Twitter. So at PJ Green TV, I think he's a sports reporter, I think. And he was doing the locker room interviews after the game. Now, when I tell you that the Chiefs have been struggling this year, one of the big problems with the Chiefs is their wide receivers have not been catching the ball that Mahomes is throwing to them. It's like I said, the Chiefs have, I believe, set a record for dropped passes this year. And you can go back in every game. A lot of these games were close and you see these guys dropping balls in the end zone, dropping them, you know, that have cost the Chiefs games, literally cost them games. And when you see Mahomes stand up, take accountability, even when it's not his fault, you're like, that's the guy I want to be around. This is the exact opposite of that. This is the exact opposite of that, okay? This is the exact opposite of it. So this is uh, from a few weeks ago, after um, MBS has been dropping balls all season long and somebody asked him about it. I'm going to pull this up really quick here. Let me see if I can do this. Where is this right here? That's right there. I'm going to do this right here. I'm going to do this right here. Okay, so now I'm going to go ahead and we're going to just listen to hear, just listen to hear how he uh, how he responds to this criticism.
3: Just uh, with, with everything going on with you this season, just how have you been focusing mentally and getting better every week. What do you mean everything going on? Uh, I mean, you know, like, you know, the drops here and there, and then, you know, things happen late in games. I'm, I don't really know what you're referring to. Um, you know, it's, you know, it is what it is. It's football I'm not gonna make every play, so, you know, it's not really anything that's going on that doesn't happen in the other season that doesn't happened in any other player in this league, so. I must say, yeah, uh, do, do you take, I mean, do you hear any outside noise at all? For what? <laughs> the Kansas City Chiefs uh, is who I play for, not for anybody else. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, fire him. Fire this man. And I don't just mean fire MVS. I mean, if you have an employee that's like this, fire them immediately. Immediately. Like, I, I, I don't even understand. Like, I, I know that it's hard to find good people out there. I'm aware of that. But this man is a cancer to this organization. And again, this transcends sports. This transcends athletics. This is across the board. And we all know people like this. You have clients like this. You have friends like this. You have family like this. These people are the worst kind of people to have in your life, in your organization. And it fires me up so bad to watch somebody stand there and not take accountability for his own actions and even go so far as to pretend like he doesn't know what the reporter's talking about. The reporter said, yeah, you know, uh, you know, like some of the drop balls and things like that. I, I don't know, I, I haven't even heard it. Oh, you haven't heard it? It's what everybody's talking about. You're on social media. You're a living, breathing human being. So not only are you not taking accountability, you're lying about it. So I'm here to tell you, it's 2024. Cut the losers out. Get them out of your life. Just cut them out immediately. If people are not willing to take accountability for their own actions when they shit the bed, which we all shit the bed, that's the thing. That's the beauty of it. We all make mistakes. We all drop balls from time to time. That doesn't make you a bad, it doesn't make him a bad person because he can't catch a football when he needs to catch a football. It makes him a bad person because he doesn't doesn't acknowledge the fact that he's not catching the football when he needs to catch the football. He's not acknowledging the fact that it's on his back that his team is losing. You've got other people out there taking accountability for things that they didn't even do wrong because that's how they roll. I mean, that is the simplest way to divide people up. Do they take accountability or not? And you've got it, like I've got, this is what I love about the batch of clients I have right now. I have got clients, and, and one of my favorite clients in the world, this guy I work with, and we become friends, and I've known him for a long time, but we've been working together for a few years now, and it's the reason our relationship is so easy is because we openly communicate all the time. And I tell him, This is like, I'll give him a list of exactly what I'm doing. Boom, here you go. This is what I'm working on for the next two weeks. These are the projects I have lined up. These should take this amount of time. If they don't, I'll let you know, blah, blah, blah. It's so simple and it's so easy. And we have been running into an issue because we've outsourced another part of the marketing stuff that I don't do necessarily. And this company is just, they've just dropped the ball. He's been spending thousands of dollars with a company that's just, they're not responsive. And, and, and I'm here to tell you like this MBS mentality is a cancer. And if you have it in your life, if you have it, if it's you take a look in the mirror, this is a great, it's brand new. You know, I'm not, I'm not a big new year's resolution guy, but it is a great time to assess where you are, where you want to go, all of those things. Look yourself in the mirror, hold yourself accountable, give yourself grace Know that you're not supposed to be perfect, but understand that you can make yourself better. Give yourself the power. That's the other thing. When he's like, "I don't know what you're talking about." Oh, so we just assume that you're not going to do anything to get better? If you come to the mic and he's like, "Yeah, it's been terrible. I've, I've I've had a really off year. I've been I've had the yips. You know, I don't know what the I don't know what the issue is. I've, I'm working on it every week. I'm trying. I, I got to work to get better. I've got to do better." That's his answer. That's your answer. That's your whole answer right there. And everybody in Chiefs Nation, (laughs) everybody in Chiefs Kingdom isn't losing their minds calling for your head on a platter because all you have to do is take accountability for your actions. And I think this is like this gets me so fired up and it probably gets you. It gets other people fired up because it reminds us of other people that we know like this. I'm not one of the people where it's like if the Chiefs lose a game, it doesn't ruin my day it's, it's, it's gotten worse since they've been good because now it's like, oh, you expect them to be good because you hold them to a higher level of accountability. You know, that like, you know, they have the potential to win a Super Bowl Whereas for the first 40 years of my life, I never held them that high. So now it's like, I know, but still even this day when they, they lose to the Raiders, it's just, you roll your eyes like, Jesus guys, get it together. Right. Whatever. But I'm not like, like, I'm not fired up because I'm a super sports (laughs) fanatic guy. Like if my team doesn't win, I'm going to go punch a hole in the wall. Like I'm not that guy, but it drives me crazy when I see people that just, that just fumble the ball literally or figuratively and don't take accountability for it. It drives me insane because we all know those people. And again, it's so easy to not be that person. All you have to do is take accountability for your actions. Not only does it make you more tolerable to be around, not only does it make people want to be around you, want to work with you more, but it also, in your own mind, it gives you the power to make a better, to to make yourself better, to get better. You know what I mean? And I had this other clip that I had pulled, and this kind of, it goes along with accountability or with basically being, just a good team player. And, uh, this again, dips into my, my hometown, Kansas city. I'm super proud, um, of being from here, love the town and everything. And there is a guy who is uh Mizzou alum who I also went to, I went to, I went to Mizzou as well. Um, and so I've been a fan of drew locks for a long time. Uh, and it's really cool to see people from your hometown on the big stage. Right. And so there was a game again, I, if you're not a sports person, I kind of apologize because I, I hope I'm not just over like like overloading you with all this sports stuff. I'm not a huge sports guy either, but I feel like all these clips kind of play well together. But this was a couple weeks ago, and Drew Locke came out of Mizzou, went to play for the Denver Broncos, got traded up to the Seattle Seahawks, and he plays there now, and he's the backup quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. And the Seahawks are, they're like 7-7 seven and seven when this happens. So the Seahawks are just kind of a mid-tier team this year. They're not great. They're not terrible. They're mid-tier. And... um. They were playing the Philadelphia Eagles, who at this point the Eagles have been on kind of a losing streak. Because we're getting, into, like I said, we're into the, we're we're nearing the last week of the season, but up until this point, this was like the very beginning of the Eagles' losing streak. The Eagles went to the Super Bowl last year, lost to the Chiefs, um, and they've kind of struggled this year a little bit too. But Drew Locke got the chance, got called up. He was the backup quarterback, got called up played, ended up starting against the Philadelphia Eagles, who are the best team in the league. And this clip, this is a long clip. It's about two and a half minutes long. The audio is not great. So uh, I'm going to do my best to kind of pump it up so you can hear it a little bit. But this is Drew's uh, interview after the game. And I love it so much. And this is, again, this is a few weeks old. So you've probably heard it. If you haven't, then it, it, it's, it's a great thing to, uh, to listen to. So I'm going to go ahead and Let's see this. How do I do this right here? Right there. Okay, and I'm going to go ahead and play this. Check this out. This is Drew's uh, post game interview after they beat the Seattle Seahawks. Straight this game winning draft
3: tonight. Oh, amazing won't do it justice. Amazing won't do it justice, but amazing also doesn't do justice. But the whole line, what DK did on that like catch, what the receivers did, what Ken Walker, Zach Charbonnet did all game long, the tight end win. It takes a special group to rally around a guy that. It was coming into his second game of the year, right? Used to the same thing all year long, same cadence, same spin of the ball, everything. But a team like that, not just the offense, the defense to rally around. Me tonight, man, that was that was amazing. I, see some, I hear some emotion in your voice. Yeah. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Um, I'm just blessed. I'm just blessed. Blessed with a great group of guys, a great city, great coaching staff. It's just, it's awesome. It's a wow. Drew, when did you even know you were going to be playing tonight? Oh, there's a long story going in now. But I kept the mentality that I was going to play, regardless of what was going on, how people were looking and whatnot. I was just like, you know what, you're going to go out there and play. So just be ready to play. Found out when we got here that I was going to get the nod and roll the dice, baby. Let's go.
1: Back to the touchdown pass to,
3: to Jackson. Just what was the play call? Take me yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll remember that play call for the rest of my life, but um, we're breaking the huddle. I knew Jax had the one on one. Good reminder from Shane in the headset. I said, Hey, Jax, you're one on one. I'm throwing you this pill. Sure enough. Gave us a one on one look. Corner was soft. Jax hit him with some speed. Back pylon, back box throw. Came down with it. Again, we can see the emotion on your face, we can hear it in your voice. Can you can you just describe what you're feeling in your heart right now? Yeah, It's so hard. It's so hard to describe the feeling of, you know, not playing for so long, or at least what feels like a really long time to me. And then you sit there, you watch games, you wonder, can I do this still? I haven't been out there on the field. That's the human nature of it. You get back out there last week, and I'm like, you know what? I'm the man, so I can go do this. But then he got another test this week where I didn't know if I was going to play or not. But sure enough, they ended up playing. We're playing the Eagles tonight. And the, the boys around me rallied tonight. And it just, gosh, it feels so good. It feels so good. I'm so proud of everybody tonight.
0: Congratulations to you. We're all happy for you. Congrats. You. Happy holidays.
2: Drew Locke came over and the Russell Wilson.
0: So there you go. I know that, that clip was a little bit long, but again, Big win for the team that night. Huge win for the team that night. What did you hear there? Oh, everybody, the guys around me rallied. Not just the offense, but the defense. You heard a lot of humanity in that clip. This is a kid that's used to winning, right? I was talking to my father-in-law. We were watching uh we were watching the some of the college playoff games or some of the college bowl games last weekend. And I can't remember which game it was, but I was sitting there and I was like, what's crazy to me, and I think about this every time I watch division one football is every single kid on that field, every single player on that field, and these are, I say kids, they're men, right? They're 20, some of them are 25 years old, some of them are 18 years old, but they're men. Every single player on that field is the biggest stud from their hometown. Like you don't get to division one football without being the biggest stud from your hometown. Drew Locke was that kid. He got to go, he was the stud quarterback at Lee Summit, went to Mizzou. I mean, again, just like like fantasy. Like this is like dream stuff, right? When you're a kid, you're growing up in Lee Summit, Missouri. I'm gonna go to Mizzou and play quarterback. Yeah, right, sure. He does it, right? And then he goes to the NFL. I mean, you were talking about the, I don't even know what, like the 001 percent of people. This guy is used to winning his whole life. And you just heard somebody talk about the self-doubt he had. He's 28 years old, 30 years old, 31 years old, maybe 30, early 30s, late 20s. He's won his whole life. And he's been obviously he's 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 dealt with losses his entire life as well. But he's not used to at the end of the day, he ends up on top. Why does he end up on top? Because he takes accountability for his actions. Because he's the guy who even when he's not the guy, when he's the backup guy, in his mind, he's always ready to get in there and play. These are the people you want on your team. These are the people you want leading your team. These are the people that you want to follow if they're on your team, if they're in your organization. If you're new, if you're not the business owner, if you're if you're new at some place, find the Drew Locke, find the Patrick Mahomes. Those are the guys. Those are the people that you want to follow. People that know how to win, And people that know how to take accountability when they lose, whether it's their fault or not. And if you can figure out how to do that, you're gonna be so much better off in life. Because I look around and it's so easy to see people in 2024 who are, they just wanna blame everybody else for their problems. I didn't get a fair break. Yeah, well, life's not fair. So, like, and it's it's possible you didn't get a fair break. That doesn't change the fact that life goes on. So the sooner you can sit there and take responsibility for those things, the sooner you're gonna do better. There's a couple people that I know that I I know that are uh, they're acquaintances of mine, they're struggling with addiction, man. And it has been they've had a rough year last year a real bad year lives are falling apart professionally personally these guys are going to get help and i absolutely am rooting for them because i don't think that they are the dropped balls i think they're the guys that are saying i need help i need to get my shit together and they hit rock bottom they hurt a lot of people on the way down I hope they accept that. I hope they know that. I hope they take accountability for that. I feel like they are doing those things. And if you're that person, or if you've got that person around you, you don't don't hate somebody for the mistakes they made. You don't belittle the people on your team for dropping the ball. But you see, you want to see them take accountability for those drops. You want to see them take ownership. Because That is the first step to them not dropping the next ball. The first step to them making the next play is realizing, admitting that they screwed up the last one and working to not do it again. And I keep saying it because it's so important. Find those people, surround yourself with people that take accountability, be that person yourself, and you're going to win because there are a ton of people in this world, in this country that are just blaming other people for their problems. They'll never win. They'll, they'll never win. And they don't know it. They're not losers because they're losers. They're losers because they're not taking accountability of their own actions. And when you don't take accountability of your own actions, you take the power to get yourself better away from yourself. See, you got to do that. I was, uh, I was talking about college football games, and I'm going to talk about one marketing thing real quick that that just absolutely... I loved every second of it. And this was, um, I think it was K-State. Yeah, K-State, uh, local, you know, again, I'm in Kansas City. So the local football team, when I say local teams, I look at KU, K-State, and Mizzou. I'm a Mizzou alum, so I'm biased towards Mizzou against KU, right, because that's the rivalry. K-State's always just been kind of like uh, like the enemy. The enemy is my friend because K-State and KU has a rivalry. And in my, my history from playing music for 20 years, um, especially playing music in college towns, I'm like pretty familiar with all these towns. And I honestly, I had a great time playing in Lawrence, which is where KU is. Playing in Manhattan, Kansas, Manhattan, Kansas is one of my favorite towns to play in. Before I moved to Nashville, even after I moved to Nashville, but it's a uh, you know Manhattan, Kansas is two and a half hours from Kansas City. It's kind of a uh, it's a more ag school, so you get a lot more of the like the country. I don't say country folks. Cause it's not it's not everybody that's that's country, but you, you got all the the country folks or in Manhattan at K state and KU, you get a lot more, um, you know, the city and suburb kids. You also get a lot, you get a lot of St. Louis people there, whatever Manhattan, it's just more of a, more of a country vibe. And I feel like most college, most town or most States, it was the same way when I would play in Iowa, university of Iowa, you had a lot of Chicago kids. It was more metropolitan. And then you had Iowa state and it was more farm like kids. You know what I mean? Um, But I, but I digress. So K-State was playing in the Pop-Tart Bowl, which they won. Congratulations. EMAW, every man a wildcat, right? So congrats to K-State for winning the Pop-Tart Bowl. But that Pop-Tart, like, campaign was off the charts. And I, I hope if you're not a sports fan, even if you are on social media, I'm sure you saw the memes, you saw the Pop-Tart memes, right? So they had a they had a mascot. The trophy was a trophy with a pop, like a, a toaster on top of it with two Pop-Tarts coming out of it. But they had a mascot and the mascot was a Pop-Tart dressed up and it was uh, just whoever was, was the mascot crushed it. And everybody loves Pop-Tarts. But the Pop-Tart took over the internet for three days, four days, maybe a week, which is unreal. So you look at marketing and again, Remember it doesn't have to be serious all the time. Now, we're not all marketing delicious awful for you <laughs> breakfast items. But look at what Pop-Tart did. They took so they made the, the the mascot was the actual Pop-Tart. And then the actual mascot got in a toaster, came out, and the winning team ate <laughs> ate ate a giant Pop-Tart and the 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 memes went viral. The memes were out of control. And marketing, this is like dream marketing stuff here and they've got now they've got the twitter account and they're still hammering it like whoever is doing pop-tarts marketing kudos you guys won the bowl season as far as i'm concerned it wasn't michigan for beating alabama it was pop-tarts pop-tarts they won they won the the national championship this year pop-tarts congratulations kellogg's and if it's still kellogg's i don't know but uh pop-tarts are delicious my wife's only craving during this pregnancy has been Pop-Tarts. So I feel a special bond with the Pop-Tarts. You know what I mean? So that's good stuff. Um, now the next thing I was gonna, gonna, this is, I have no, um, segue here, like to get into this next, this next thing, but I got, I got hit with the TikTok when I was, you know, over the holiday and I was sitting there and it was, it was a, a business owner, a restaurant owner. And he was talking about, kind of, he had somebody ask him like, Hey man, I can't afford to pay $16 for a sandwich or whatever it is. I'm going to play this TikTok. And then I'm going to talk to you about not, not only accountability, but ownership and kind of it, it ties in with accountability because it has to do with business ownership, but I'm going to go ahead and play this clip. Let me bring this up right here. Where are you? There you are. And okay, check this out. This is a good, uh, this is a post off of TikTok, I believe. So We're going to check this out. This is about a minute long. Here we go.
4: You want to know why your sandwich costs so much at the local restaurant? My friend Dan sent me a text the other day. He was at one of my restaurants. He said, Brian, I just ordered a BLT at $16. You realize it's just bread, bacon, lettuce, and tomato. I said, yeah, Dan, but let me give you some restaurant perspective. In today's economy, my rent is $20,000 a month. My utilities are $6,000 a month. And my labor is currently running about $60,000 a month. That's at 28%. So I'm in for $86,000 a month before I sell a single sandwich. At a 32% food cost, I have about $11 profit in that sandwich. That means I have to sell 93,800 sandwiches a year or 257 a day just to break even and make no money. 1.5 million in revenue and that'll make a dime. That's why your sandwich costs so much. That's a reflection on our economy.
0: Okay. So I thought that clip was really interesting for several reasons. And I'm going to get into, this is something I've talked about with friends of mine for a long time. Um, I grew up, my, my father bought his business in 1983 when I was eight, around that time. Right. So my dad basically started, he, he bought a an, an industrial equipment, like he sold dollies, pastors, things like that he started selling there I want to say in like 77 78 79 80 something like that so he sold for a few years they tried to sell the company he ended up buying the company and I say all that because I grew up with a business owner as my father spent a lot of time with my dad we were a close family still still spent a lot of time with my dad um but I say I also I, like I I'd mentioned before I grew up on a farm, and so I would spend, we were 30 minutes from anywhere. So my dad would drive me to school. He'd drive me to work. I started working when I was 11 years old. But I was in the car with my dad for an hour a day some days. And, and then, you know, we'd eat dinner as a family all the time and all those things. Um, and so I always heard a business owner's perspective on things. And this actually plays in a lot with accountability because I think that, you know, whether you're talking to consumers or customers or prospects or whether you're talking to employees, which is kind of who this is more geared towards, I feel like there is a very small amount of people, a small percentage of people who actually think like a business owner. And I think that's important. I had seen, um, you know, I follow, there's a guy named, I think his name is Nick Huber. I think he's the sweaty startup guy. Great follow on all the socials, wherever you, wherever you look at stuff, and he talks about um the, the small percentage of people that actually are cut out for being entrepreneurs or for owning a business, and and it's it, 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 he's right, you know what I mean? I think it's that was one of the things that I disagree with Gary V on, where he's like everybody should be an owner, everybody should be an entrepreneur, blah blah. It's like that's not true. Working for yourself is definitely its own thing. I always. For me, it was easy because I was wired that way. I think it's because I grew up with my dad and I, I learned how to, I was good enough at selling out of the gate that I could sell whether it was me playing guitar, I could sell that service enough to make a living or whether it was me running social media accounts, I could sell that to make a living. But I think that the, the one thing that a lot of people are missing is an ownership perspective, regardless of where they work or where they shop. You know, and I think it's important to think like an owner, whether you are one or not, or at least understand where money comes from. Because most people just, they don't, they don't understand. Like money comes from their boss. No, (laughs) like that's not, that's not where money comes from. If you're working for the government, the money comes from the government. No, it doesn't. (laughs) The government, I mean, they print the money, right? Which might've gotten us into the situation we're in right now where everything costs five times as much as it did five years ago. But they don't, that's not where the money comes from. The money comes from us. The money comes from the people, right? And so when you are working at a business, and I see this all the time because I'm dealing with business owners and these some of these, some of these people have done very well for themselves, right? But the reality of it is that the guys that I work for, the people that I work for have earned it themselves. None of these people have had this business handed to them. They've all struggle. They've failed. They've taken L after L and then taken W after W. But the problem is a lot of people, when you go to work for a company, let's say you go to work for a a company that has 30 people working at it. Say they're doing $30 million a year, whatever, $20 million a year. You just think that that owner just has money. They're rich, like slow down. Now, maybe they do have money. Maybe they are rich. Maybe they're good with money. But the reality of it is that money is coming from somewhere. That money is coming from somewhere. So whatever, and this is the the beauty of having a W-2 job, of having a job where you go and you get your two weeks vacation, you get your, you know, your, whatever benefits you get. The beauty of that is you don't have to think like an owner. You don't have to stress about, you know, the, the, the things that aren't your job. But the owner thinks about everything. So when you think like an owner, you are incredibly valuable to the team you're on because you're thinking about not only your job, but everybody else's job and all the things that have to get done. When you walk by a piece of trash, do you pick it up and put it in the trash can or do you wait for the janitor to do it, right? The owner is picking up that piece of trash and putting it in the trash can. That's thinking like an owner to me, That's small. It can be that small, but it goes all the way up, right? And understanding that depending, regardless of what your position is in the machine that you work for, it doesn't stop at the owner. It stops at the outside of the world. Where's the money coming from? Someone is hiring you to do something, to perform a service or to deliver a product or whatever that is. So if you can start thinking outside of yourself a little bit, if you start thinking of, and I and I know people that have started businesses and been like, this is not for me. And they've gone back to work for somebody else. And those their perspective is invaluable because they understand the things that the owners or the ownership has done to create a space for them to just do one job. And that is, you have to do a lot. Like, especially if you're bootstrapping a business, like my business, I'm doing, I, I do 10 different jobs and I'm not, it doesn't make me a superhero, but I understand everything that has to get done because I've done everything. And I'm in the process of starting to hire those things out. But my my whole theory on this was I want to get things built up so that I can do them well enough so that I can oversee them effectively, and that should be the way things work where you work. Now, if you've got someone who's incompetent above you, that's a different ball of wax. It's a whole different situation. But I, I I, think that there is a very small percentage of people in this country, in this world, that think like an owner. And I think that if you can become one of those people, I think that you will. you'll boost your own value. You'll make yourself more valuable. And I, I hope if you're the, your superior, whoever it is, if it's a manager, if it's a owner, if it's a boss, whatever, hopefully you'll be rewarded for that. You should be rewarded for it because it means the world to me. I've only got a couple people underneath me and they're rock solid. And when they see a mistake, they fix it and they tell me. And I it's the best thing in the world. Having people on your team that look out for mistakes that might not be theirs and they cut them off at the pass. So thinking like an owner, it's it's accountability, but it's accountability for other people on your team. It's looking around the corner. It's not just staying siloed in the easy thing. So I think if you can think like an owner, it's going to, like I said, it's going to make you more valuable to your team. It's going to make you, I, I think you're going to, I think you're just going to be better off in the world if you do that. And then I've got one last clip that I'm going to share here today, and the thing that I want to I want to talk about now is kind of from the ownership perspective to the, the team perspective, right? Um, and thinking about your staff, the way I think about my staff is there. It's an investment. I'm investing in my team, and I want my team to be excited to work. I want them to understand that I have their back and I look at it as a blessing for me to be in the position to where I can bring people on and I always want to be the boss or the manager that I wish I had and I think that's very important and I think part of that is giving people grace and giving people time to develop and time to grow with you. I think that's super important. Um, and this is, before I get into this clip that I'm going to play real quick, this is, it ties back to, there's an analogy you can make to the music business. Um, like back in the day, like right now music is, and I know I'm an old man yelling at the sky about this, right? Like grumpy old man screaming, oh, this music today. But like, like you look back, I got, I got hit with a TikTok over a break and it was like the top, 20 songs of 1984 or whatever. And I was a kid. I was a small kid in 1984, but music's always been a huge part of my life. So I remembered all these songs. I'm like, damn, these songs are really good. It was songs by like Tina Turner and Lionel Richie. And these were people that number one, they were in their thirties or forties and they were on the pop station, which today you would never hear somebody that was that old on a pop station. But number two, musically, and I'm not gonna go down the rabbit hole of music theory, but musically, they were elite. Not only were the artists elite, but everyone around the artist was elite back in the day. The The musicians that were playing on these records were elite because there wasn't a computer that could fix the shit. <laughs> you didn't have a, a way to fix things. So back in the 70s, I'm assuming, but anything, 70s, 80s, anything before 2005, when every single studio is equipped with Pro Tools or maybe 2000, everything before that, everything you heard on tape was played by a real person. And those people had to be really good. If the music sounded really good, the players were really good. It wasn't that the music sounded really good because the computers, the software is great, right? Which is what a lot of it is now. But the other thing about it was, and this is all part part and parcel to the streaming thing and blah, blah, blah. But back in the day, record labels would take the time to invest in artists. And you see it, like it's really apparent with like classic rock artists. Like you could use somebody like Van Halen as a good example, right? Um, their first couple records were shit. Like sales-wise, they didn't do very well. And this is a common theme. Like you'll see with like people now that are just like super fan, like Billy Joel, the guy struggled for years and I'm not saying struggle before he got a record deal. Struggled, struggled after he got a record deal for years, but he didn't get dropped. Now these record labels and record labels, like I don't even know, you don't even need a record label. If you're, if you're a musician, stay away from record labels. You don't need them. But now if you do sign a deal with a record label, number one, They're signing you to a, or your management, they're they're trying to sign you to a 360 contract, which means they're taking a piece of everything. So they're asking for a lot more. They're giving you a lot less. And the other thing is they're not giving you any time to succeed. They're not giving you any time to grow. They're not giving you any time to get better. And back in the day, record labels would sign bands and they would develop them. And that might take two records. That might take four or five years to develop these bands to get them from Van Halen 1 to 1984. Now, Van Halen had success before that, obviously, but the 1984 record was just, you know, enormous. And you could say the same thing about companies now. And we're at this really weird spot where a lot of people are, you go to work for a company and you're a number, you feel like a number. And that's really sad, it's really true. You know, you if you want to, um, like, level up in your career, a lot of times you have to leave the company you're with and go to the competition. You have to, otherwise, you're going to get a two percent raise or whatever. And if you go to the competition, they're going to pay you twenty five percent more because you've got two or three years of experience. So I, I I say this, and I'm 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 running my business like again. I want to be. The type of owner that I would want to work for, so I'm running. My, I'm investing in my people, and I think that a lot of businesses don't do that now. A lot of businesses bring people in, and they they don't invest in getting people trained up. And it's a double edged sword. I understand that because you're like, well, I'm going to teach this person all these skills, and they're going to bounce and they go to the competition, and that's the that's the struggle that we're in right now, as business owners as managers, is it worth putting money and time into somebody if they're just going to bounce? Well, it's a chicken and egg thing. It's Which comes first? Do the companies have to start being better to the employees before the employees start showing some loyalty? Or are the employees supposed to start, start showing loyalty before the companies do the right thing? The other side of it is, are you going to do the right thing when nobody's looking? Are you going to do the right thing when it might bite you in the ass, for me, I am because I, I, I—that's how I want my business to run, and I think we would be better off if people acted that way. And I, all this kind of—I I saw this clip. I'm a big fan of uh, Simon Sinek, and I saw this, this clip of his, and I'm going to go ahead and share this with you. It ties right along with everything I'm talking about here. Let me pull this back right here. Let me do this right here. Where are you right there? Okay, we're up. I'm gonna go ahead and play this clip and I'll touch back on this in just a second.
1: Most companies don't have the patience for their people to grow. I don't have patience to wait and help you on your growth journey. I need my growth and I you my, my numbers. It reminds me Gary Ridge, who used to be the CEO of WD40. He was on an analyst call and the analyst said, Gary, you missed your numbers. And he goes, no, my numbers are fine. I missed your numbers. But to Gary's credit, he has a company that invests in, like, if you're in a leadership track, they, they teach you how to be a coach. They teach you coaching. They understand that people's performances don't always match the arbitrary numbers of the arbitrary dates of running our companies. He has the institutional patience to allow someone to go on a growth journey with their ups and downs, even if it means that he has to suffer short term because he recognizes that over the long term, he will benefit, which, by the way, they have. It's a very, very high-performing organization. This is why I like quarterly or at least semi-annual reviews, at least then I can see growth.
0: Simon Sinek getting it right again, per usual. But I just think that's super important. You know, I think that actually taking the time to, number one, see your team as an investment in your company. And number two, doing the right thing when nobody's looking. You know what I mean? Um, Helping those people grow. And the good ones are going to pay you back for it. And they're going to pay you back with loyalty and by doing a good job and by making you proud to have them wearing your name on their back. You know what I'm saying? That's about it. That wraps up episode seven of Market Like a Rockstar. I hope you enjoyed this. I really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me. If you did enjoy it, please do me a favor and uh, be a friend, tell a friend, pass this along to somebody that you think could get value out of it. Until next time, stop selling, start telling. I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Market Like a Rockstar. Don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe. Help us out and share this episode with anyone that you think might get value from it. For more info, correspondence, and links to all of our socials, visit the website, rockstarmarketingpod.com. Until next time, go make some content, build your brand, and be sure to stop selling and start telling.